My name is Sherry Guess, and this is the Heavily Meddled Podcast. On this podcast, I interview patients, medical professionals, and industry insiders, having important discussions regarding the all-too-commonly experienced but lesser-identified symptoms of hypersensitivity to metals contained in implanted medical and dental hardware, diet, and environments. These metals often cause a variety of dysfunctional immune responses, chronic pain, and other syndromes that fly under the radar of most patients and physicians. During these interviews, the patients and I discuss ideas for managing symptoms, share personal lifestyle modifications, and talk about how to advocate with and educate providers pre- and post-surgery, along with options found for implant removal and the how-to of adverse event reporting. This podcast does not give medical advice. From time to time, I may interview medical professionals that render personal opinions you can use to follow up with your individual provider. Let's roll. Hello, metalheads, and welcome to the jungle. Today, we have part one of a special two-part episode with Meliza Diagnostics. Now, I know who Meliza Diagnostics is, but if you're new around here, you may not know. Melisa Diagnostics is one of the worldwide leaders in offering LTT blood testing for metal allergies. In part one, we're going to talk with Linda Nelson, who's the CEO of Melisa, and she's going to tell us how the test was developed, how it was patented, how it was clinically validated. And she's going to share some of her patient stories. And then in part two, you're going to follow me as I get my own Melisa test. We're going to go online and fill out the questionnaire. We're going to download the paperwork. We're going to fill out the paperwork. I'm going to get my blood drawn and you're coming with me. Then we're going to package this blood and we're going to send it off FedEx to Germany where it's going to be tested for metal allergies. You're going to be with me as I get the results. We're going to talk about those with Linda. I'm going to walk you through how the test is interpreted so that when you get your own Melisa test, you're going to know all the deets. So this is going to be a really exciting episode, and I'm really glad you're here with me for the walkthrough and the journey. So let's jump right on in. Today, we have a special guest from across the pond, as it were. We have Miss Linda Nelson, who is the Managing Director of Melisa Diagnostics, and we are excited to have you, Linda. Linda has been the Managing Director of Melisa since 2005. After witnessing how Melisa testing helped patients recover from chronic illness, she made it her aim to raise awareness of how metals can induce serious health problems in sensitive individuals. She does this by encouraging and enabling research, working with licensed Melisa laboratories to develop new applications for testing, and by organizing international conferences. So welcome, Linda. We are super excited that you are here. Thanks, Sherry. I'm so excited you're doing this. I have to say, metal hypersensitivity is quite a niche. So to actually have a podcast dealing with it is really absolutely amazing. I could never have imagined this would happen. So thanks for what you're doing. Oh, no, it's totally my pleasure. And it really needs to happen. I think, honestly, the hope is that at some point, this is going to be bigger than gluten, right? (laughs) The world needs to know. It's my pleasure and my mission in life. You can't come on the podcast without telling us what your favorite heavy metal band is and your favorite heavy metal song. So tell me. 
I did actually have a period where a boy I was in love with went into heavy metal. So I started going to heavy metal concerts and I even went to the type of negative concert just because I liked the kind of music. But I think nowadays I'm mellowed a bit. So I have to say, I think Metallica must be my favorite band and Nothing Else Matters, my favorite song, because that's nice. kind of raw, raw emotion in that song. And yeah. I played for my kids and I absolutely love it. So I don't listen to a lot of metal at the moment, but I think that song I will always listen to. There's a funny story back in the day when I was in the business. I think I was on tour with Rat and Motley Crue, and this is back in the 80s. And Metallica came to shoot one of their first music videos. I believe it was in Salt Lake City. And they were backstage. Uh-huh. And I'm like, who's that? And I was like, oh, this band named Metallica. Wow. Still have a picture. As a matter of fact, I should probably dig that out and I can send put it, it in. The- send it. <laughs> Put it in the show notes. I'll send it to you. But yeah, James Hetfield was, you know, all those guys were super just babies. They must have been all of 17, right? (laughs) Okay. So tell me about the history of Eliza and how it was established and how the purpose was refined. And you can talk about your mom, Barish Tetzkel. Tell us about all, all the beginnings. Yeah. So maybe a little disclaimer to start with. I am not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, not a researcher. I fell into this a bit involuntarily. So my background is in journalism. We only ever spoke about medicine at home. I thought, no, I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way. I'm not going to be put into the family business. And here I am doing the family business. My mother was Vera Stasekal, an immunologist who was the first immunotoxicologist of her kind in Scandinavia. So this was a very new emerging field. So it was immunology combined with toxicology. So the diverse effect that very small amounts of certain substances can have on different people. So with toxicology, it's the same effects. Usually high levels of a substance will have the same effect in a lot of individuals. When it comes to immunotoxicology and immune sensitivities, then the lower levels and lower concentrations of substances are needed and the effects will only be seen in some people. We know we're all different genetically. So substances at lower levels, not poisonous levels, will affect us differently. So she was working at Astra Pharmaceuticals, producing pharmaceutical substances, and they knew that the workers in the factory, when they were exposed to pharmaceutical substances, they would have strange symptoms, rashes, hives, itching, brain fog. Something in the factory was affecting some people, not everyone. So Astra said, wouldn't it be lovely if we just had a test, a blood test, take all the workers' blood and we can screen them to the substances they're exposed to in the factories. And if somebody's reacting to certain type of cardiovascular drugs, then we can just remove them from the production. She was tasked to come up with such a test. So she used as a basis the lymphocyte transformation test, which has been around since the 60s. So it's definitely not a new test. The method is based on a white type of blood cell, which is called a memory lymphocyte. And with this test, we can measure how the immune system is reacting to the substance we want to look at. So she took this test and she refined it to make it more optimized, reproducible, and to give it better results. And actually, they rolled it out in the factories at Astro Pharmaceuticals, screening the workers. Astra Pharmaceuticals is AstraZeneca, correct? Yes, correct. It then became AstraZeneca. That's absolutely right. So they started using the test, as far as I know, they still use the test. And she thought, okay, this is a sort of uh, interesting test. And that's actually a hypothetical question. She asked one of her colleagues, who was a dermatologist, 
her name is Margaret Forsberg. And she said, Margaret, I have this test. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. I just wonder if I could do anything else with this test. Could it be used in any other way? And she didn't expect an answer. But to her surprise, her colleague said, it's funny you should say that because I have all these patients coming to me. And they're saying that they're being poisoned by their amalgam silver fillings. And, you know, everyone's got amalgam fillings and not everyone is sick. And of course, as a dermatologist, I can put metal solutions on the skin. I can measure the reactivity. If it's redness, swelling, we say it's an allergy. But of course, something like mercury is toxic. So of course, it's going to be irritative as well. And we can't really separate between irritative responses and a true allergy. So I wonder if instead of putting metals on the skin, could we use something like the test you developed and looked for cell reactivity where the patients are not exposed, but we exposed the cells in the lab and we measured the reaction. She said, okay, no idea. I never thought of it. I have fillings. Everyone has fillings. Why would it make you sick? It doesn't make sense, but look at it. And to her surprise, if you had a group of people all with fillings, crowns, and you tested them, some people would react immunologically. And some people would not react. And it was not correlating to the number of fillings they had or the number of crowns. It really seemed to be an immunological reaction. So, so a very small portion yes. of the allergy. So we're talking about poisoning. If you're mercury poisoned, then everyone will be affected. But when it comes to dentistry and also implants, which we'll talk about later, we're not talking about such high levels. So it, you can't really call it poisoning. So Allergy versus toxicity. Yeah. And the reason actually why Vera Stasko was allowed to play around like this, because this is not really the remit of Astra, but she had been involved in rescuing one of the world's best selling drugs, which made Astra one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. She was part of the group that rescued a drug that went on to become Prilosec or Omeprazole. So, um, really? She played a part in it. And after that, Astra said, you earned your place here. You can do whatever you want to know. Rescued it in what way? I'm curious. Developing pharmaceutical drugs is a very long and a very costly process. And it had come to the stage where they wanted to trial it in humans. But when given to research dogs, it induced vasculitis, which was not a good thing. So they said, look, you have to scrap this because obviously it's having these side effects. The dogs, um, we can't give it to humans. It looked very promising, but we have to stop it now. And again, as I mentioned, Vera was part of this new emerging field, immunotoxicology. So her group of scientists, it wasn't just her. They were saying, look, here's one last shot for this drug. See if you can work out why we're getting these reactions in these dogs. And if there's anything we can do to explain the mechanisms. And they actually worked out that it was an interaction with the anti-warm medication these dogs were given. So when they tested the drug on dogs which are born without worms, I think they're called white beagle dogs or something American even, they're not given these warm medications because they're not born with worms they didn't yes. get those reactions. So it was actually an interaction with the medication that the dogs had. And that meant that actually it can go to the next phase. And it then became this enormous best-selling drug. So Interesting. I know with vaccines, when they study vaccines, they don't test mm. them to mm. see cross-react. They test them alone. They don't test them in conjunction with other medications that people are on yeah. or other vaccines. They don't test them as a whole. So yeah. that's a whole other can of worms, but same theory. Yeah. 
And to finish off the story with how the test was developed after Astra Marge with AstraZeneca, there were suddenly three different offices that were clinics who were doing the same type of job as Vera was doing. And she thought, actually, I quite like working with metals and this testing. She managed to get the rights to patent the Melissa test, which is then what the test became known as. And then she went off and did the studies and got it validated and then dedicated the rest of her life to raising awareness about the effects metals can have on human health and also how you can measure it because you need to use scientific tools saying everyone's being poisoned by metals is not helpful. You need to be able to prove things and ideally measure them and publish them. So that's what she ended up doing. Right. So Melissa is a clinically validated test. Can you explain what that means? How is it clinically validated? Yeah, absolutely. So this was done by an independent lab. So again, as an inventor, you can't really validate your own test. Somebody Mm -hmm. else will have to do it. It was a scientist at the lab in Germany who was interested in offering the test commercially, but first had to validate it. So I believe this was 2003, and they did a study in 250 patients. And they played around with the various sort of lymphocyte concentrations, like if we have more lymphocytes per test or less, we're going to get different results. This sort of run a couple of safety checks just to see that the test method and the protocol was giving the results it should For example, some tests, they would just split samples. So they would have two people, two lab professionals working side by side on the same sample just to make sure they got the same results. And that lab continued in 2006. And they took a group of patients who all suspected methyl hypersensitivity, because this is obviously why people send the sample in the first place. They then treated the patients based on the Melissa testing. So if somebody was reacting to mercury, they would have their fillings removed. If somebody was reacting to gold, they would remove a gold crown. And then they followed up to see if they improved or if there was a change in health status. And then they also did a follow-up Melissa testing. And this is why it was called the clinically relevant test, that if you do the testing and then you then follow the advice of the test, or obviously advice of a doctor or dentist who looks at the results from a Melissa test, the results should be useful. So if you follow the recommendations, you will see an improvement in health. So that's why it's called clinically validated. Since then, obviously, there's been loads of other groups using the same setup for testing. So you confirm a metal reactivity using the test, usually testing metals based on ongoing exposure. You then remove whatever metals Melissa shows that you're reacting to and you then do a follow-up with health symptoms. It's quite nice. Sometimes there are studies ongoing that we don't know about. For example, we found out recently, I think it was end of 2022, that Charles University in Prague had done a large study on orthopedic patients, patients with failing implants, and patients who did testing before receiving implants. And we had no idea they were doing this, and then suddenly there's an article published on it. So, I And think they used the Melissa a- test. Yes, the lose the Melissa test. So I think this is why Melissa is different. As far as I know, it's the only test where lots of different groups are using it and are publishing the results and are finding that the results from the tests are useful. Beryllium LTT, of course, is another very established test in, in the United States. So any worker exposed to beryllium 
in a factory, it's mandatory that they're tested with an LTT test to beryllium. And if they're found to be reacting on a cellular level, i.e. on the test, even if they have absolutely no symptoms, they have to be moved to a beryllium-free environment because otherwise it's highly likely they're going to develop a lung disease, so-called psychodosis or beryllosis. So what, this what is factories and what manufacturing process typically uses? The aerospace, aerospace and weapons. I think they're the big industries, but they just really do beryllium testing. And again, we have been talking with the researchers who are involved in this and some have raised that actually, if you look at the particles in these factories, it's not just beryllium, there's nickel, there's other metals. So why they've just selected beryllium, you can disagree with that. Also, when they look at lung biopsies, there's not just beryllium and the unhealthy lung tissue. There's other metals as well. Again, it just shows that the same principle that we're talking about, if you're reacting on a cellular level, you should avoid the exposure. And hopefully you will prevent disease or you can, what we can see is that symptoms disappear after removal in the majority of cases, obviously in 100% of cases, but pretty high. We're talking right. about maybe 7%. Now, you said LTT testing has been around for a while. What is the difference between the old LTT testing yeah. and the way Melisa yeah. does yeah. the test? So any patient who's having a, a Melisa blood test might be appalled at the amount of blood we need. So <laughs> this is one of the big differences. As I said previously, we are trying to identify and isolate a special type of white blood cell called a memory lymphocyte. Just like our brain has a memory and remembers encounters with people we've met, situations we've been in, these memory cells also remember encounters with previous substances. So in the lab, we can isolate them from a blood sample and we can present a substance to them. For example, titanium. And we can ask them, when you last encountered titanium, how did you react? So... These memory lymphocytes are not very prevalent in the blood. So we need quite a lot of blood to be able to make sure that we actually have enough to be able to measure a reactivity. So I think with LTT tests, for every test they do, they need about 250, no, less than that, 100,000 cells. There have been studies showing that if you increase the concentration of lymphocytes, not memory lymphocytes, because we don't know if they're memory lymphocytes or not, we're just looking at lymphocytes here. If you increase to 250,000 lymphocytes per test, you will get much better results. You will not have a risk of false negative results, which might happen. And to compare that to MELISA testing, when we have 1 million lymphocytes per test, we obviously need a much larger blood volume to ensure we have that many tests per metal tested. And within those 1 million lymphocytes, some of them will then be memory cells. So I hope that's not too complicated. Oh, that's interesting. We need much more blood so we can ensure we have enough memory lymphocytes. The basis of the LTT test is that you compare the number of lymphocytes in tests where nothing has been added. So this is your baseline. This is how your immune system reacts when nothing's been added. We call it the negative control or the background value. This is then compared with tests where metals or the substance you're concerned about is added. If there is an immune reactivity, the white blood cells 
or the member lymphocytes, they will start dividing and multiplying. And the way you can measure this division and multiplication is that you add a radioactive tracer. So you mark the cells, and at the end of the test, you can then measure the cells. So you compare the number of cells in a metal-treated culture with your cell when nothing was added. And this is where you get the difference, or so the stimulation index, which is what, if you do a test, you will get this on the report. So this is what all LTT tests does. This is not just something specific for MELISA. Okay. The difference in MELISA is that for all the tests where we see a weak reactivity or a positive reactivity, we will take a sample and make a morphological slide. So we will actually look in a microscope on the cells to make sure that it's just these allergy-specific cells that have reacted. So there's lots of different cells in the blood sample. And sometimes something like monocytes, which are in the blood, but they're actually not relevant for allergic reactions, they might have been multiplying and taking this thymidine, this radioactive tracer up. So we actually check in a microscope that is the relevant cells that are involved in immunologic reactions that the machine has counted. But I actually think in your results, Shari, I presume you're happy to talk about them. In your results, you can see that the stimulation index was increased on some metals, but the evaluation was still negative because when they looked in a microscope, the lab did not see the cells which are needed to be present for it to be marked as a true allergic reaction. So this is different. So the risk then with LTT testing is that you will get false positive reactions because we always check to make sure it's the right type of cells that are causing the increase in numbers and not an unspecific reaction. We're avoiding a false negative test because we have so many cells. So we are ensuring that there are enough member lymphocytes to show us that they're an allergy. And obviously the substances we test, they're supposed to be non-mitogenic, i.e. they're not causing a reactivity for everyone. And the non-toxic, what we see, for example, with mercury, if we have a high enough concentration of mercury added to the cell, everyone's cells will respond. But of course, we only want people who actually are hypersensitive to mercury to respond. Of course, mercury, I would argue nobody needs mercury. Sometimes there might be other metals that are causing inflammation and an allergic response, which you might want to deal with first. Okay. So these are the main differences with melisides, the number of cells. There's another step where we actually take away the monocytes, which again are those unspecific lymphocytes, and then we do morphology. So I think that's the main differences between LCT and melisa testing. You and orthopedic analysis are the two mm-hmm. primary companies that do LTT testing mm-hmm. worldwide. What would you say the difference is? We're not throwing yeah, anybody yeah, yeah. under the bus, so don't worry. Yeah, but, absolutely. But what yeah. would you say the difference is between the way Melisa tested and the way orthopedic analysis tests? I haven't been able to read very much about exactly the test they do. I was actually looking earlier today to see how much blood they're asking for, and I wasn't able to find out how many vials of blood because I thought if they ask for as many vials as we do, then maybe they're using more tests. But in general, we can just point our clients to is the difference between standard LTT and MELISA and that orthopedic analysis probably is doing the standard form of LTT testing. They do also offer blood ion testing, which actually might be really useful sometimes. Yes. So you can actually measure the levels of metals in the blood. I kind of wish labs would offer those two tests together. Why so don't I think- they? 
It's a good question. I guess they're about the tests that they find more useful, but definitely, again, we speak to clients in the US and they just can't imagine sending a sample abroad. And we always tell them that there's orthopedic analysis in Chicago that can do the testing if they don't want to send samples. Well, abroad. it's interesting. So think- I've had both tests and I find yeah. both valuable for different reasons. Yeah. I had, okay. I had similar results in some ways and different results okay. in another. I did have the ion testing, which Melissa mm-hmm. doesn't offer. I found both extremely valuable and it was really nice to compare. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but okay. I see value for both companies. I wish there was more labs doing this kind of testing. We definitely need more. We're certainly not saying we should be the only test or the only lab. I think the more people that do it, the better. And Meliza is working on bringing a lab stateside or getting a, a lab in North America, yeah. correct? Yeah. Yeah, we did feel that back in 2019, when FDA organized a committee on medical devices and started talking about immune responses to metals and medical implants, we really felt that there was momentum going and we're really excited and thinking now we're going to get a lab and then COVID happened (laughs) and everything came crashing down. But actually, I'm going to grab one of these papers on my desk that I printed because I would not remember otherwise what it was. But there is something I saw that came out about a year ago, and it's the Center for Devices and Radiological Health in the US. And they're saying that they have initiated research efforts to address the knowledge gap that exists on host responses to implanted medical devices, including potentially clinically meaningful adverse responses in patients, and also the tests or the method that are needed to better predict or identify exaggerated immune responses in patients. So I do think they're onto it. We wish things would be moving quicker, but definitely since 2019, I actually went there and Dr. Scott Schroeder went there and talked to head of this committee. And one of the things I highlighted was that it's shocking that patients cannot find out the metal constituents of implants that have been placed in the body. It's incredibly difficult to find out. The same thing is true for dental crowns, dental bridges, even dentists will place material and they do not know what metals are in them. But this is why that's going to be a a goal of the podcast. I'm going to actually literally put up a sheet. What's next and walk people through not only testing for Melisa, but how to actually find out the constituents in their yeah. implants because people yeah. don't know where to go. I was lucky that I was able to find it pretty easily. I'm pretty tenacious, but I'm going to create a roadmap for people to make it mm-hmm. a lot easier. That's a goal. <laughs> so I think it's shifting. It's very slow, but I think it is coming. And definitely a lab in the US is essential. And we are hoping that there will be a lab offering Melissa testing in Canada at the end of this year. Maybe that will be a viable option for US patients. There should be 10 labs in the US, not just one, but we're working on it. We'll get there. You guys test for more metals than any other company I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What metals are you planning to test for in the future? Are you planning to add to that or how's yeah. that going to work? So I don't think really any more metals are needed. I think what definitely we would love to be able to offer is polymers like peak. These mm-hmm. are non-metallic implant constituents or composites, they're sometimes called, that are used for implants, especially with peak. There's a case report where a peak cage was placed in a patient who had swelling and rashes. <laughs> so, I had a peak and, cage in my neck. 
Yeah, they've used patch testing and they said the patient's allergic. They removed the cage, the symptoms disappeared. But again, we would love to be able to include that in our testing panels. The labs, that when we talk to them, they say it's not soluble. We need to make sure the antigen is presented to the cells. And if it's tied up and not soluble, we're not going to get an accurate reactivity. So definitely peak plastics, uh, meshes, like, you know, you had. Yeah, I was going to ask about polypropylene mesh. Yeah. You have such terrible stories. You think there must be something we can measure. But again, as with gadolinium, which is another thing that we've been asked over and over again, we tried to set it up. And what happened was that it wasn't the lymphocytes, the memory lymphocytes reacting. It was the macrophages that went crazy. So maybe sometimes we can do like MELISA testing, but we're not looking at the memory lymphocytes, we're looking at macrophages or what other other cell is involved. But So that's really something we would love to be able well, to add. I would add. think any reactivity well, above well, baseline yeah. would be clinically yeah. relevant, whether it was memory well, lymphocytes or macrophages or whatever. But getting yeah. the scientific community to accept that might be. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's, yeah. I think metals are easy in a way. Metals are easy because they just look one way. When you look at polymers that have very complex chains. This is the same is true for food. So food proteins, they're very complex compared to metals. The ions just have one structure and it's very different from other proteins and foods. Right. Prior to MELISA testing and my diagnosis of metal hypersensitivity, I, I had a lot of gadolinium. I didn't know that gadolinium mm. was a metal agent. Call me dumb, but mm. I didn't know that. Mm. And the only testing I've been able to have for that was a 24-hour chelated urine test and just found out literally this week that there's a blood serum wow. test for gadolinium okay. through Quest, I believe, mm. which might interest some people. So that's going to be mm. up on the radar. Mm. It would be great to see Melisa test for mesh and gadolinium. And yeah, I wish I really hope because I hope they're moving away from metal implants. But then again, does not to say the plastics and the composites won't have their own well, issues. And ceramics. Yeah. Ceramics and carbon fiber. Can you test for reactivity to carbon fiber? Is that even? No? No. Again, I think there's just so seldom a use that you'd have to place a lot of implants to start getting their reactions. It'd be nice to think there's a very natural, I love to think carbon fiber is, it's a perfect material. But then again, sometimes there's glue, so there's bone cements. So it's not just the material, but how you fix it as well. Right. Tell me about some of your most interesting case studies and some of their follow-ups. I yeah. know you've had, you have a few notes. I would love to hear some of the big stories. I think just something which hits me over and over again, and I find really, really upsetting, is that patients usually know they have an issue with metals like nickel. Definitely women will know they can't wear cheap jewelry or, or they get itching around wristwatches, jeans buttons. But no one ever asked them. There's so many times. One of the most memorable, I would say, patient that we assisted, she knew she had a nickel allergy. No one asked her. So she was a really fit personal trainer. She was a tennis player, but she needed a knee replacement. So they gave her a cobalt chrome knee, which contains nickel. And she had a steady decline, eczema, depression, anxiety, brain fog. She ended up on disability allowance because she couldn't even dress herself. She was just so stiff. And she came across her website. She had a Melissa test. She was found positive to nickel, which she knew she was. <laughs> you know, right. it was, I think that's the sad thing. It was really not rocket science. And she knew she was large to nickel. So she took this to her surgeons. Luckily, they took her seriously. 
they made a custom-made nickel-free titanium knee implant for her. They replaced it. And little by little, actually quite quickly, to be honest, her symptoms improved. So the rash, the depression, and yeah, she was back. She was fit. She never went back to being a personal trainer. I think she actually retrained as a chef or something. But it's just so unnecessary. It just makes me so sad. But the nice thing is that with the right tests and with the right surgeons, these people can be helped and they can regain their health. I think that's what's amazing about the body. You give it a chance to recover and it will do. Yeah. Our bodies are meant to heal for sure. Yeah. The sad thing is, do you have any idea how many patients Meliza's helped to date? It's not just an isolated incident. Yeah. I don't know. And quite often I do feel that oh, I just want to email like the last yes, patients and just ask them how they got on. We're not the doctors. We're not the dentists. We're not treating them. And it might be a bit intrusive to email them and say, how did you get on? But quite often we don't really hear anything. And then eventually maybe some will drop. Actually, just two days ago, I had an email from somebody that we helped two years ago and she actually said, oh, I tried to write a review for you, but it didn't work. And I'm thinking, what review? I want to see that review. But oh, we obviously, okay, well, we managed to help her. So she, based on the metals in her test, she had the metal of the body and improved. But I, I really don't remember the story. But now she's saying, now my boyfriend needs an implant. So I want to make sure he doesn't have the same experience that I had. So sometimes out of the blue, the emails will pop up and you just think, wow, we managed to help this person. I had no idea. So note to podcast listeners, if you get tested from Meliza and if you get a positive health outcome, Meliza would love to know about it. Whether it's a review, a story, a shout out on social media, tell Meliza how you're doing. That would be awesome. Thank you. There was actually another one. So I'm going to reach for my notes again, because there's a lot of stuff to remember. So this is the research article from 2021. Again, I had no idea this was being published. Again, it's this group of researchers at Charles University in Prague. And they said they have a database of over 300 patients that they have tested through the years in Melissa. And they selected 42 patients that agreed to participate in the study. And they did a questionnaire asking them health status and also when they had Melissa testing, did they act on the results they received? So out of 42 patients, 32 patients said that they followed the results from ELISA testing and 94% reported significant health improvements based on what the Melissa test told them. I don't remember offhand what they did, but I assume it's removing dental metals mainly. There were six patients who did not follow the results. And out of those, one person said their health improved. This is quite nice as well to see. And again, this is published. It's one thing having a case report, somebody emails you. But if anyone has anything important to say to the medical community, please ask your healthcare professional to write a case report. So we'll try to get a study going. So definitely more of that is needed. Right. What we also see in patients who have followed the recommendations of Melissa, which usually means removing the metals they're reacting to, what sometimes happens is that they have a follow-up test. So the article I just mentioned, they did follow-up testing in these patients as well. And what they saw was that the reactivity in the Melissa test went down or sometimes normalized, which means overall their immune system calmed down, which obviously poses a question how useful is Melissa pre-implant? So if you're not exposed, but you're planning to be exposed, how useful is testing? First of all, you obviously 
have to take into account patient history. So we've had people approaching us who had a titanium implant in their arm. It never healed, so they had to take it out. That was, say, 10 years ago, and they have no titanium exposure at all, and somebody's planning to put titanium in the body. And quite often, Melissa might not actually pick up titanium as an issue because they haven't been exposed, they have avoided exposure, but based on their history of reacting badly to titanium in the past, you probably shouldn't put another implant in, or at least not in the brain or somewhere where you're not going to take it out. Nickel is no problem to pick up because it's very difficult to avoid nickel. It's in our foods, it's in stainless steel cutlery, it's all around us. So it's actually a challenge for people with nickel hypersensitivity to avoid nickel in their daily life, even if they don't have implants or crowns or anything that contains nickel. We're obviously very cautious that you can test pre an implant, but the testing can only ever tell you what's going on at the moment. The test can certainly not tell you that 10 years with a titanium implant means you're never going to react to it. And actually, the FDA also says that immune reactivity can start a week, a month, or years after exposure. So the immune system is not static. It changes. It depends on what other metals you have in the body. I'd like to think if you need an implant, removing metals that are not needed. So for example, safely replacing amalgam fillings and just lowering the overall burden of metals in your body means that those essential metal implants where there's really no other solution, then maybe your body will react to that because it's primed with no other inflammation in the body. Again, don't take my advice. I'm not a doctor. I haven't studied this, but it kind of makes sense. If you have a immune system which is calm and avoiding unnecessary triggers, then maybe those essential implants will be accepted in people without the sensitivity. And now a word from our sponsor. Attention metalheads, are you struggling with skin rashes, joint and systemic pain, or fatigue that just won't go away? Type 4 metal allergy is often overlooked as a culprit in many of today's chronic illnesses. Get to the root of the problem with MELISA testing. MELISA is a scientifically proven and clinically validated test that measures immune reactivity to metal allergens like nickel, cobalt, and titanium. With fast and reliable results, you can get the answers you need to find relief and live a healthier life. Don't let metal allergies control your life any longer. Visit MELISA.org to learn more and schedule your test. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. MELISA a valuable diagnostic tool in medicine. Okay, here's a burning question. That, and this is yeah. a surprise question, but I think you'll ace through it. Since metal hypersensitivity is often a type 4 delayed hypersensitivity mm. reaction, when you are testing the blood in the lab, do you see evidence of the delay? Does it take a certain number yes. of days because there's yes. a delay? How do yes. you see that yes. manifest? Exactly. Well, this is why... Um, Unfortunately, there's not a very quick turnaround for the test. Once the metals have been added to the isolated cells in the lab, we have to wait for five days. So we'll literally have to leave the cells there for five days. If we start measuring them after two days, we probably won't find anything. So because it's a delayed type reactivity, we have to wait for those days for it to work to be sure that we measure a delayed type hypersensitivity. This is why the test take a bit longer. I speak to clients who said, as I was in the dentist chair and they took out my crown, 
my back pain disappeared, which is amazing. But it doesn't sound like delay type hypersensitivity. It will take a while. It's probably what Scott Schroeder talks about galvanic reactions. If you feel such an instant relief, it's probably something else. I don't know. I think I can buck that because when I had my 10 pieces of metal hardware removed from my back, I came out of surgery with 60% less pain. It was like that. Yeah. I almost well, think there amazing. that it might work. Yeah. I think the onset might be delayed, but I think yeah. the offloading okay. is instant. Yeah. Personal yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds but, amazing. But then when I had my gallbladder clips removed, here mm. I've got a body full of metal. I have three mm. little bitty one centimeter or less gallbladder clips removed. I didn't wake up from that surgery with mm. any kind of Hail mm. Mary. It took me mm. six months mm. to notice, but I noticed after six months, it was like a slam dunk. I absolutely knew that it it had had benefit. I think yeah. it just depends on how much metal you're taking and how reactive the body is. I'm ready to talk personal stuff for a minute. Let's okay. both my husband and I send in testing to Meliza. And I want to talk about him first. I'm going to violate okay. his HIPAA. Sorry, honey. It was really interesting. My husband typically has not had any kind of metal reactivity that we know of. However, mm-hmm. he just had an endoscopy where they did a scope to check some reflux. And they Mm. inserted a little stainless steel clip in his throat. Mm. And Mm. within a week, he developed a little rash on his chest, Mm. right on his sternum. Mm. This is a clip that they said would stay in the esophagus for a few weeks and or to a month, and then the body would slough it off. And he developed that a week later, and it stayed there as long as he had that clip. So we thought, oh my Mm. goodness, he's Mm. got a nickel allergy as well. So we send the blood off to Meliza. His test comes back spot on normal. So here's Mm. my hypothesis, and I want to see kind of what yours is. Mm. My hypothesis is he may be reactive, but he has not had enough exposure or enough of a body burden over time to show reactive on a clinically validated blood test. Would you agree with that? So he had the clip when he was tested, did he? He did. So, yes. But he had the clip when he sent off a blood sample. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So he had ongoing exposure. And did you say he's taking it out now? The clip? The body automatically sloughs it off. So okay. we don't know when it sloughed off, but now it's gone. The rash is gone. But it did so the clip is gone the as clip. well. Yeah. Is the clip gone from his body? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And the rash is gone as well. Yes. Okay. So would you think just maybe not enough exposure or not enough burden for him to be that hypersensitive? Yeah, it could be that. It was just, yeah, it's just funny because if it came when the clip was placed and it disappeared when the clip was gone and we definitely tested for all the metals found in the clip. Was it nickel or stainless steel clip? It was stainless steel. And it's not a clip is, I mean, when you think of clips, you think of gallbladder clips. This was just some Mm. little thing, a little bit. Mm. that. It doesn't sound like it was a lot of exposure. So possibly it wouldn't have been picked up then. I know the Melisa test works, but don't we have these one-offs that we don't have explanations yeah. for. So that's just kind of my gut feeling is he didn't yeah. have enough body burden and there wasn't enough of yeah. it to really yeah. cause the cells to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do something that I've never done before. So bear with me. I want to throw up my test on the screen. I'm going to share my screen and I've taken out all my personal information. Can you see my test there? I can see it. Okay, perfect. A little background for podcast listeners. I originally had an orthopedic analysis test that came back. This was probably in 2000 or in 2021. This showed me reactive to nickel, molybdenum, and iron. Mm. At that time, I was fully bedridden. I couldn't walk five feet. I was reacting to pollen outside. I was reacting to 
everything in my diet that was super, super high nickel. I was showing elevated levels of cobalt in my blood. And even though I wasn't showing an allergy to cobalt, I was showing elevated ion levels. So since that time, I have had five surgeries to remove hardware. I've had a spine surgery. I've had gallbladder clips removed. I've had a shoulder clip removed. I've had a neck surgery that had a peak cage and a bunch of nickel hardware redone to hardware that was less offensive to my body. And I've had a number of surgeries and I've been really, really great about following basically a low nickel diet. So there's been Mm -hmm. two years since the orthopedic analysis test and the Melisa test. Now I'm not bedridden. I'm much more functional. I would almost come as far as to say, except for a metal plate that I need to have taken out this fall, I'm almost fully healed. But it Mm. was great to send this sample over to Melisa. And like you said, you had mentioned before, a lot of people that test before and then after they show less reactivity. And I think we're going to see this here, but I have some specific questions and you're not a doctor, but we're just friends talking here. So the only positive I had here was nickel. I showed up with a stimulation index of 2.8 and showed positive to nickel. Now, when I read the Melisa website, it looked to me like the stimulation index was only positive if it was over three, but yet here I'm a 2.8. And why, if the stimulation index is lower than the threshold, would I have the positive here? Yes. And you can also see for molybdenum, you have increased values there, 2.6, 3.4, but it's still Correct. evaluated as negative. So this is where morphology comes into play. So okay. the stimulation index is just literally measuring how many cells there were in the metal treated cultures as compared to yourselves when nothing was added. But all positive reactions and all borderline two to three, they're always checked with microscope. Your molybdenum, there was no signs of the cells that are involved in the type four reactions in those cell cultures, even though some cells had taken up thymidine and therefore increased the cell count. When looking at the microscope, they were not there, those dividing lymphoblasts, they're called. Sorry, did you say orthopedic analysis said you had a positive molybdenum test? I had a mildly positive to molybdenum and iron. It was very mild, Mm -hmm. but it was positive. So the interesting thing would have been Of course, orthopedic analysis don't do morphology. So we don't know if that was, again, unspecific reactions like we're seeing here, but evaluating it as negative because of morphology. Do you see the difference? I do. So just to clarify, so here I have a stimulation index of 2.6 and 3.4, which is high, but still negative. Yet I have the same stimulation index range down here with nickel, yet I'm positive. So explain again why that is. This is because Melissa uses two methods to evaluate the test results. One is purely counting the radioactive uptake of dividing cells. And that's the stimulation index. Yes. But we know that sometimes cells, which are not the hallmarks of a true type four reactivity, will take up radioactivity and increase the cell count, but they're actually not specific. They're unspecific cells like monocytes. So what the lab does to make sure that it's a sort of true type four reactivity is they check through a microscope subjectively what cells are involved. And in the case of molybdenum, they obviously did not see any lymphoblasts 
or this type of cells that have to be present for it to be a delayed type reactivity. So that's why molybdenum, even though it's increased, they say, no, it's an unspecific reaction. And what I'm saying, again, I'm not saying this is the case for orthopedic analysis, but interestingly enough, they evaluated this as weakly positive. And if Melissa didn't have morphology, we would have said the same thing because an increased stimulation index. But we use morphology okay. to actually Got check it. what cells are involved. And when it came to nickel, even though that is a lower stimulation index, they've written two pluses. So not just the plus, there's not just one cell present, one okay. lymphoblast. There definitely is a positive reaction there because of the cells seen on the microscopic slide. And we know that the sample was good because we yes. had this pokeweed up here with a stimulation index of 199 and the positive morphology. And that's, yes, that's exactly. what tells you the sample's exactly. good, correct? If the pokeweed reactivity would have been under 100, then we would have said your cells aren't responding a lot. There might have been some reactivity we missed because for some reason your cells aren't reacting. Maybe you're taking immunosuppressive medication or maybe something went wrong in the transport, but this is a nice, strong pokeweed response. And if it's a low pokeweed response, the lab will say we can't evaluate your test because we probably have missed some reactions because your cells aren't even reacting to a substance that everyone should be reacting to. I take a triamcinolone cream, which is a steroidal topical mm -hmm. cream. If mm -hmm. that was going to affect the test, you would have seen that in the pokeweed. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Okay. So we know that that wasn't affecting. So I'm going to scroll down here because there's another question I have on the test. So this is the bottom of the test. So we have the other things that I was mm -hmm. negative to. It was interesting that negative to zirconium power. Now, is zirconia in different than zirconium? It probably is, isn't it? Zirconia. Yes. Zirconium is a bit tricky. So we say on our requisition form that the clinical relevance of positive results to zirconia has not been established. This is because we have never had a group of patients who all had health issues after receiving a zirconia implant or a zirconia crown who had a positive MELISA test, zirconia, who removed the exposure, and then their symptoms went away. This is the only way we can see that the test, as, as we said in the beginning, has a clinical relevance, because we see that on the basis of the results given by the test, if we change the treatment accordingly, we will have a beneficial health outcome. But we've never experienced this with zirconia, so we can test it. But if it's positive, we will say, we start reacting. We don't know what it means. So I, see. I had the zirconia yeah. implant and my body would not take it. Yeah. I did find a journal article that said there was metal impurities in zirconia yeah. metal free implants. So I can yeah. only just surmise that I was still highly reactive at that point and my yeah. body just wouldn't have any of it. One of the things so I what? wanted to ask you on this page here, mm -hmm. this negative control is 904. Yeah. Now I noticed yeah. on the Melisa website, it said that a negative control, you usually like to see numbers that are over a thousand. So here's a question for you kind of out of the blue. Mm -hmm. You don't know my medical history, but anytime okay. I have a food allergy test or yeah. a test like this, it seems to show less reactivity. And I almost have a gut feeling, I'm not a doctor, mm -hmm. but I have mm -hmm. a gut feeling that Maybe it's low IgA, maybe it's low immunoglobulins. I think that whatever the normal threshold is for people, that I'm below that. 
And Mm -hmm. therefore my responses that are positive are not as high up the scale as somebody who had a normal immune response as a baseline would be. If I said that correctly, would that make sense with this negative control of 904? It's perfectly fine. We see people with 300 and then it's really touching if the results are valid. But I would say, okay, maybe tiny, tiny bit low, but it's absolutely fine. So this is just not one value. So what we do in the MELISA test is that we have about five different negative controls. And what you've seen there is actually a mean of them. So there could have been some values that were higher, some values that were lower, and that's actually a mean of your cells when nothing was added. We do sometimes have the issue when people request testing is that they have a low lymphocyte recovery. So for some reason, there's not many white blood cells in their blood. They can have virus illnesses, but again, this wasn't the case here. We managed to test everything. I think you requested. I hope so anyway. (laughs) I think so. And the interesting thing, we haven't shown this yet, but this is Mm -hmm. the graph of the stimulation index. So we can see this all compared. And clearly, again, the molybdenum had the highest stimulation index, but not the morphology. And the nickel was the only positive one. Would it be safe to say that there was a mild reaction then to niobium and tantalum? Some of these higher ones? I think they're borderline. Again, when the test was validated and they would run repeat samples or side-by-side samples, they felt that the hardest ones to reproduce was the kind of borderline ones, the Mm -hmm. ones just up to two or something. And that's why we have to have sort of certain cutoffs. So definitely tantalum, which is 2.4, they would definitely looked under the microscope and said there are no cells present there. I, I can see your curiosity. It's reacting more than other metals. So it should be something there. But I guess in sure. that test, you have to have a kind of yes or no in the end. And I'm going to clarify this just for everybody and all the doctors and medical professionals out there that say you can't be allergic to titanium. You do have MELISA test patients that show reactive both on morphology and stimulation index to titanium, correct? Yes. Yes, we do. I would say that most of the requests we get nowadays are from people who have issues after titanium implants, and we don't see all of them testing positively. So there can be various reasons for this. Something which we always think is important to raise is that there may be traces of nickel in titanium. So, of course, there's aluminum, vanadium as well, usually mixed in with titanium, even in very, very low amounts. But definitely nickel is, it's unknown how much trace amounts of nickel in a titanium can be an issue for somebody with a nickel allergy. Again, anecdotally, which is not the same as properly published, people with no titanium allergy, but they have a nickel allergy whose symptoms started after a titanium implant was placed, they feel better and have a, their symptoms resolve if they remove this titanium implant. Again, I'm not saying anything about that. that. It's just interesting. That was um, me. And I can tell you that at my highly reactive phase, I think I've now had probably 20 pieces of metal removed from my mm-hmm. body. But when I went and mm-hmm. had a neck fusion, a two-level fusion, one was done with nickel-containing implant and one without. The one without the nickel-containing implant healed perfectly. Mm-hmm. The one with the nickel-containing mm-hmm. implant collapsed. And they had to redo it. So they completely did a revision with a non-nickel containing implant. Now, I will tell you that I was reacting less, but I was still reactive. So I am one of those patients that do react to titanium. My pelvic implants, I have six of them, three on each side. And they were the implant that took me over the edge and actually helped me diagnose my metal allergy. And those implants were less than one ten thousandth of 1% nickel. 
So that's the amount of reaction my immune system was having at that point. I wish it was measured and studied and I hope it will come, but I don't like to say it could be like this or possibly it would be nice to have hard evidence. But I think the other thing that I find it really, really important is that just because you are not reacting in the MELISA test, it doesn't mean metals are good for you or that you're not having an issue with them. So again, take something right. like uh, silver amalgam fillings. They contain 50% mercury. Just because you're not having an allergic reaction to mercury, it doesn't mean it's beneficial for you. So right. it's just if people spend a lot of money removing implants or changing their fillings and nobody wants to do it anyway and it's very expensive they want to have some sort of guarantee that at the end of it they will not just be poorer but they will actually feel better as well i think what our study showed is when there is a reactivity measured by the melissa test that specific metal is removed again 60 70 80 percent in some studies will experience improvement in health But again, we're not saying if you're not negative, it doesn't mean you're not going to feel better when you have the implant removed. It's just that there's been no studies looking at that. But definitely, again, I think it's been dentists saying I took out an alga filling of 20 patients and they all felt better. But again, we need proper studies. So I think there's many other effects. Definitely titanium based on the... The, the inquiries we received, I think titanium is, there's other things titanium does to the body, which we cannot measure at the moment. Maybe Scott Schroeder with his galvanic um, reactions, you know, he can measure it, but there's more things that we just don't know yet. I think you've seen the episode, but when talking to Dr. Schroeder, I've had electricity running through my body for years and could never explain <laughs> yeah. it. I just called it surging. And and as yeah. I've had more metal and more metal removed, that feeling has gone away. So I was definitely having a galvanic reaction between the dissimilar yeah. metals in my body. And it was nice to know I wasn't crazy for feeling like I was yeah. hooked up to a light yeah. socket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but- do you think that medical professionals are becoming more open to the idea of metal hypersensitivity? Yeah, I think so. I think one of the things which hopefully is in the past is that medical professionals thought a metal allergy was purely the same as contact dermatitis. So a metal allergy is a skin reaction. That was the equation most doctors did say that a metal hypersensitivity will give you joint pain, depression swelling, implant failure, that was absolutely alien. And I think it's not looking at what's been published, cases, studies. I think it's very clear now that medical profession has moved away from thinking that meta-hypersensitivity is purely a skin reactivity. That's really great, actually. And that's, again, why some argue that patch testing is maybe not so useful because the metals are actually inside the body interacting with the cells. It's not just what's happening on the skin. So I do think so. Here in the UK, you have to dig hard, but the NHS, National Health Service, they do have documents saying if you have a true nickel allergy, they don't necessarily specify how you prove you have a true nickel allergy, but then you are entitled to hypoallergenic knee implant, for example, so a nickel-free knee implant. So I think it's definitely being more recognized. Our surgeon friends, especially spine surgeons, they said the issue is that they have no materials to work with. So they can only use the materials that are FDA approved and that they have available. So if there's only metal implants available, what are they going to give their patients? They need surgery. We certainly need more innovative solutions. There's a beautiful, it's quite old now, case report. I'm sure you've come across it, but 
it was a child who had idiopathic scoliosis. So again, he needed a cage because his ribs weren't expanding as his body grew. So they put in these titanium expanding implants that would expand as the boy grew. And he got really sick. He had lots of different symptoms. And they sent off a blood test from ELISA and actually showed reactivity to every single metal in the metal alloy. I think niobium, titanium, nickel, everything. So they actually ended up removing the cage. But they said, what are we going to do? This boy needs an implant to survive. And this incredible pediatric spinal surgeon, he managed to get an implant carbon coated. So he took the metal implant, they coated it with carbon. So it was custom made for the boy. They placed it and he was fine. He did not have a, a reaction. Wow. So he calls it sort of camouflaged. They use the term camouflaged for the immune system. And this boy, actually, you can search the news for him. And they've talked about this in the U.S. That it's the surgeon saved oh, the boy's I'd life. I'd love to get that. Better. I'll link it in the show notes if I can yeah. find it. I... He's doing really fine. But it should not be a niche thing. This should be an, an actual alternative. As I mentioned, if a patient has no nickel allergy or nickel allergy in the family, then this should be something that should be offered to them. Because again, many studies show that revision surgery is never going to be as good as getting the first surgery right. And that's why it's so important to consider metal hypersensitive as well, one of the factors that can implant successful surgery. And medical professional awareness is only one facet of this. The podcast mm -hmm. is trying to increase the public awareness of that, mm -hmm. because I think as the public becomes more aware of metal hypersensitivity reactions occurring, then we can put pressure on the physicians and providers to, yeah. to hear us. And, and so I think that's a key thing. Now, Melissa, the website says that you guys have multiple labs. So there's more than just the lab in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. There's lab in Switzerland, there's lab in Israel. Actually, they're the ones that have done a lot of research on beryllium. So they were doing the beryllium LPT. And then, as I mentioned, they found that actually there were other metals involved in the air, in lung tissue. So they say, why are we just testing beryllium? So they then actually started using Melissa. They published a couple of nice publications on Melissa testing as well. There is the purely research-based Charles University. They do Melissa testing. But yeah, hoping to have one in Canada at the end of this year. And then, yeah, US is a big thing for us. So we need to find the right sort of partner to, because I think it's important that the labs are prepared to support the patients as well and educate doctors. So it's not just about running the test, but it's about making sure the right people are tested. And when they call, they don't have to call the UK. I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes yeah. you've picked up yeah. when I've called, but there is a US phone number and there is yes. somebody yes, in the US, a US phone number. Them. Sometimes people will say, I had all my fillings taken out 10 years ago and I don't have any metal exposure. And we just say, I'm not sure this test is going to be useful for you. We need to make sure that the right people test and that the people test for the right materials as well. What would Again. it take to get it covered by insurance? Does it ever get covered by insurance? Yes. Yeah. So the testing was actually done by a lab in the US previously and that had these insurance codes. So if somebody is ever asking for, is it called PT codes? No. Yes. Yeah. That we do have a couple of codes people can use. So we can never guarantee that insurance will pay for it, but people can definitely give it a go and see. We should try to get reimbursement for my husband's. <laughs> Yeah, you can do another podcast on that. <laughs> there we go. For those listening to this episode, part two of this episode, we are actually going to walk you through ordering your Melisa test. I filmed the whole process from filling out the questionnaire online to the requisition to going to get my blood drawn. And you're going to see how that all goes. What research is the Melisa Foundation currently 
involved in or are you involved in any? There's definitely research going on that we don't know about it until we find it on Medline, which is lovely, obviously, for us. But the ones I know about, again, I'm trying not to give away too many details because I think as it's ongoing, it's a little bit like a sort of court yes. case. You can't talk too much about it until it's published. But there's definitely one in North America where it's a university institute and they're looking at a group recruiting patients who suspect that metal hypersensitivity is behind their symptoms. So they've been going through lots of questionnaires, asking about what kind of symptoms they have, what metal exposure they have. They will have melissa testing done unless they've already had previous hypersensitivity testing. And then they will actually remove the implant or whatever is exposing I them. I want to be and part then- of that study. <laughs> Can I qualify? Look uh, me up there, Linda. <laughs> I still have one implant left to go. That's so, later this year. So my first sample encountered a shipping delay to Germany. We had to mm-hmm. actually send my sample twice. How often does that occur? Not very. So this year, I have to say it's been actually quite high. It's about 15% of all samples from the US. Mm-hmm. So we say that testing has to be processed within 48 hours. And actually, because it's being sent to Europe, then the time difference works in, to our advantage. So when samples are processed... There's sort of one and a half days. So if there's a one day delay, so it arrives on day three, it's sort of two and a half days. So we still set up the sample. And in about 60% of the delayed samples, we have valid results. But but there is unfortunately a part of the delayed samples which are set up, which will not give valid results. So yeah, what can I say? I wish it was easier, but it will be once we have a lab in North America. But we keep an eye on it. And again, sometimes, unfortunately, clients don't follow the instructions. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of instructions, but it's there for a reason. And if it's not being followed, sometimes FedEx will assume things about samples, which are not true. For example, they think it's shipped on dry ice. And we said, there's no dry ice. It has to be room temperature. And they just assume it's dry ice and the package. So some things are without uh, outside our control. Oh, something that was important that is probably worth mentioning to those who are going to have a MELISA test is that Dr. Schroeder said it was important to draw with a straight needle instead of a (laughs) butterfly needle because there was more preservation of the cells. Yeah. I think if samples arrive hemolytic, it means that the red blood cells have burst and it's very difficult to isolate the white lymphocytes. This can be caused by the drawing techniques. Definitely, it would be interesting to have more information. Maybe actually something we could raise with patients where there's something wrong with the blood sample, we can see if they remember the drawing technique. So that's actually a really good point. Thanks for raising that. I will definitely feed that back to the team and see if we can more data on it. Now we're going to talk about your favorite subject briefly. I know a lot of people with metal reactivity, one of the side effects of a type four reaction, or one of the things that kind of come hand in hand are chronic infections, such as Lyme. Mm. I have Lyme. Meliza does some testing with Lyme. Tell us about the Lyme testing that Meliza offers. As I said in the beginning, Meliza is actually just the method to measure immune reactivity to various substances. So it was developed for pharmaceutical drugs. And then it was used for metals, it's mainly used for metals. But actually, the, the researcher who validated Melissa testing, she was very interested in diagnosis of Lyme disease. And she thought that the available tests were really not very accurate. And especially when you talk about antibody testing, just because you have Lyme antibodies, it doesn't mean you have an issue with Lyme at the moment. It could be historic infection that has been treated. So mm-hmm. 
she thought it would be better to have a test which can tell you exactly what is happening now in the body. So she actually took the Melissa test and she developed it for Lyme and she published an article as well. The principle of the test is to see if your immune system is being triggered by Lyme antigens. And if it is, that is an indication that you are exposed to Lyme now. So it's not something that has been treated. What's quite nice with using Melissa testing for Lyme disease is that after, and this is what she showed as well in her work, if you have somebody who's symptomatic, who's positive in Melissa Lyme testing, after successful treatment, when the symptoms disappear, that's successful treatment. If symptoms don't disappear, it's not a successful treatment the Melissa testing will actually turn negative. So it's something you can use to monitor the treatment of Lyme disease. It's only one lab in Germany that offers this Lyme testing. And it's not really something that we have studied a lot. So we tone it down on our website because there's also been quite a lot of controversy. This is a type of a cellular Lyme test. And some people are saying these tests are actually not very good. It's not my expertise, but... Some people use it and say it's very good. Otherwise, say it's not. In general, Lyme is a very difficult subject to treat. However, I would say the doctors we work with here in the UK who treat Lyme disease, they actually say they don't treat Lyme disease, they treat the patient. And if treating the patient means dealing with metal-induced inflammation, they'll have to remove the metals. And once the patient is treated, the Lyme will usually be treated as well. So you can just zoom in on Lyme and give antibiotics and hope that sources of out if you have metals, if you have infections, yes. if you have mold issues, food allergies, well, nutrition you know, deficiencies. The immune system is meant to heal. I likely would have never been able to overcome the Lyme disease or the mm-hmm. co-infections I had. Mm-hmm. Without removing the metal. Once I did that and my immune system was not under the burden of fighting metal hypersensitivity all the time, the Lyme healed. Yes, I did have some interventions and some treatments that helped with that, but I am in full remission from Lyme. So to those who think it can't happen, it absolutely can. I would say in regards to MELISA testing for Lyme, I wouldn't use it as a standalone test. If you have the clinical pictures and you have the comorbidities like metal hypersensitivity or things like that, then testing as a whole probably makes sense. And then if you go into remission and you want to know if it's gone, you could test. But I think as somebody who's experienced it, you know, when you're feeling better. So almost the Hmm. test isn't necessary. And why didn't we test my blood for Lyme when I sent it over? Yes. I think another thing I think is worth mentioning uh, when it comes to Lyme is actually a lot of symptoms of Lyme disease are very, very similar to metal allergy. But people don't consider metal allergy. It just yes. doesn't occur to them that an implant, a pin, clip, orthodontic yes. wire can be causing this. Even if they have nickel allergy, they just don't put these things together. If you type the symptoms in Dr. Google, Lyme disease will come up. Metal allergy will not come up. So again, this is not published. Yet. It's more anecdotal, but it's quite interesting. So we contacted a group of Lyme um, patients in Sweden. This was quite a while back. Um, they all wanted to do Lyme testing, so they had to pay for the Lyme test. But we said, would you mind if we do kind of a parallel study on you? So you do your Lyme testing, but if you're happy to share with us a medical history, any metal exposure, and we will actually test you in parallel to metals, which you don't have to pay for because not what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And actually... More people in the study were allergic to metals than had an issue with Lyme, 
but they just never considered it. They never come across it. So, yes. So again, it's whenever people contact us for Lyme disease, which isn't very often, I have to say, we always say, by the way, have you considered, do you have exposure to metals? Can you see that there was an onset of symptoms when, when you had your metal exposure? So I think and it's just know, something it's, mentioning. It's crazy to me. It's my first question that I ask people, have you ever had any mm. reactions to jewelry or mm. do you have any metal yeah. in your body? And the first answer is always no. And then you say, yeah. have you had like chronic ear infections? Oh yeah, yeah. I have had that. And yeah, yeah. what surgery have you had? Yeah. Oh, I've had gallbladder and I've had this yeah, dental yeah. thing. The first answer was no, but you ask yeah. them again, you push yeah. back and they have metal and metal and metal and history yeah. with metal. Yeah. And twice in the last 48 hours, Linda, I've had people messaging me through social media saying my doctor and my surgeon say that metal hypersensitivity isn't a thing. Oh. Change this. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I love it when they say they don't believe in it. It's like, it doesn't exist if you don't believe in it. So that's you why don't. it's important. I think a website and your website that we put articles there that they can print or a list of references they can print. And oh. it's not just you and me saying it. There are research groups, the universities. I'm in a Facebook group of 5,000 people with metal allergies. <laughs> 5,000. Obviously, what upsets me is that we could have helped a lot of more if it was just more widely known. Again, things are moving so slowly that people who need help right now are maybe not going to get it. But at least there's internet, at least people can search and be their own advocates and people like you and me will support them. And everybody right now, not kidding, needs to go to Meliza.org and scroll (laughs) to the bottom and sign up for the newsletter. The spring newsletter was fantastic. It links to case studies. It links to research studies. That documented evidence is there if you need to take it to your surgeon. And for those who don't know, every episode of the Heavily Metal podcast, we put out show notes. If you go to heavilymetal.com and you look for the episode, you will find the links to the photos of the episode. You'll find the links to outside organizations or things that we've talked about here. You can find a list to sign up for my email list. There'll be a list of resources, a whole bunch of things that you get if you just go to heavilymetal.com and then to meliza.org. Please sign up for their newsletter. Meliza is a fantastic organization. They need your support. We need your support and we need help to get the word out to everybody else. Linda, tell me what are the plans that Meliza has for the future? Do you have anything you can share? So I think it's just the focus of getting the test more accessible. I just think that it's logistically it's a challenge. And again, if it was available in the US, then again, insurance will pay for it. So I think our focus will now be once COVID's gone and labs again are looking for tests to offer and they're not inundated with COVID tests. I do hope that they will realize. The other thing Partly why Melissa has not performed routinely in a lot of tests is that it uses radioactivity as part of the method. And this is something that has been phased out in lab medicine. So if we could get a non-radioactive test method, it would be much easier and cheaper for labs to offer the test. I mentioned the beryllium LTT test in the US. They're still using radioactivity. So I don't think that there's something we've missed that they're doing. I just hope that advances in technology will mean we can get a non-radioactive melissa that obviously has to be as good as the radioactive melissa. And that would, again, make it easier for the labs to start offering the tests. That's my hope for the future and not too distant future, ideally. Wonderful. Linda, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. and, and fun. For, thank you. For, I enjoyed for being it. here and helping with this movement. And for all of you who are following us, you know that our main goal is to tell the medical industry that we're not going to take it anymore. So thanks for joining us, everybody. 
We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in today. Please don't forget to follow me on social media and to like, share, and subscribe. My primary mission is reaching out to others who may be suffering from hypersensitivity reactions to metal implants and pointing them to resources that can assist with hope, help, and healing. If you know someone that suffers from a chronic illness, you might ask if they have any implanted metal hardware and if they've ever had a reaction to jewelry or metals of any kind. Might not even be on their radar. Visit us at heavilymetal.com where you can find images and documentation relating to our show today, as well as a number of valuable resources and links to assist you on your own personal healing journey. Until next time, keep on rocking.